Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. All right, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, your podcast for the outdoor world. My name is Walt, and I am joined by my co-host, Chase, and we are sitting within a month of deer season. I think that's right. You're within a month now, too, correct? Yes, yep, uh, I'm just at that uh, month mark right now. Yeah, it's getting close, dude. Yeah, man, I am itching to... uh get out in the woods actually went on a scouting mission i actually met up with a listener of the show today uh, on a piece of public that we uh, both what? hunt uh brandon ogden yeah him and i had been like chatting back and forth uh through text messaging because we both uh he realized that i was going to be hunting uh, that public so we've been going back and forth for probably a couple of weeks now and uh, he happened to be up and was going to be scouting uh, this week so i got out there and met up with him and uh, it, it was cool to meet him, and uh, we did some scouting together, so it was awesome. Yeah, no, for sure. He has been a fan of the podcast for quite some time. He and I have have talked, um, I'd have to say, off and on for quite some time, so I'm I'm thrilled that you got to meet up with him. Man, you know, you benefit from being in the middle of the state, and that, I, I am <laughs> envious of that because you get to meet up with all the, 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 the people down there. Yeah, man, that's been uh, at least uh, one of the cool things for me because I've, I've gotten to go fishing with some people that listen yeah. to the show. I met up with some people uh, to go scouting. Uh, I, I always like meeting listeners of the show, uh, I, but I kind of look at them like, well, why do you listen to me? But hey, <laughs> um, but that, that's kind of cool. And, and it's, it's just good to get some uh, other people's perspective in the state on how they hunt. Uh, the public land down here. I, I'm not an expert by any means, so it's always kind of good to go back and forth with somebody. And he's got a lot of more experience on that piece of public than I do. Uh, it's been a, a good little uh, relationship. Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's always been the core reason why you and I've done this: the relationships, the knowledge, and the relationships have have always made this worthwhile. And 
if anybody on the panhandle wants to hang out and make Chase jealous, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wide open. I'll... <laughs> yeah, man. And we and we got our, our, our Patreon group. Yeah. They're great. And we have uh, quite a few guys in Florida. I mean, you, you got to meet Craig Kroom at the, yep. uh, the tethered event. Yeah. Um, and there's several other guys down in the, uh, the central Florida region. So, and they're kind of always kind of asking us like, Hey, if you guys ever get down here, uh, I'll meet up with you and scout and things like that. So it's just great to have, uh, that kind of a uh, resource. And that was kind of, uh, one of the cool things that I always kind of envision with the podcast is just to, to make connections, uh, with yeah. people and to get more experiences than just the little bubble that you're currently in. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, I think that's ultimately what makes the early mornings editing or the late nights recording and editing. I mean, it, it makes it all worthwhile, man. It, it, it's a good time, but you know, you, you, you mentioned our little Patreon group. It grew by two members since the last time we recorded. So we've got some shout outs to do, dude. You ready? Yep. All right. So Steve Whittem out of Florida, he joined recently. I appreciate you, dude. And then longtime uh, listener, kind of creepy guy in the corner lurking, Charles Hedlund joined this year oh, from, nice. uh, from, from Pennsylvania. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah, our our so. brother from uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. <laughs> so that's it. That's it. You know, he keeps inviting us to come up to PA. That might have to be like, that's got to be on the short list. I think at this point for like out of state CT of uh, like stamped official trips, because we got to show him how easy it is to kill a deer up there. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, he, was kind of upset with our last podcast that we didn't mention PA as a destination <laughs> state uh, to go to, but I know a lot about the the PA hunting culture and things like that. So I, I, I really do want to get up there at some point, but I mean, this year I'm kind of weighing is like, do I go to Iowa or do I go to PA? Iowa or right. PA? I mean, <laughs> can only go so many places, but uh, yeah. I think we're hoping at some point to kind of do like a, a central meetup for a lot of us creators uh that way we can all kind of get together and uh and have a good time uh, out in the woods together yeah no and and i hope we can put that together for next fall or turkey season because we've made some awesome connections like we said and i think that whatever comes out of that is just going to be monstrously entertaining and fun for everybody so uh this week also monstrously entertaining and uh fun for everybody we sat down with nick chandler you may know him as Heart of Florida Outdoors. And uh, we took one last dive into the Florida whitetail woods right before uh, we start, you know, broadening our, our our seasons across the board. His season's about to kick off, and he does an excellent job of, of navigating the public quota system in Central Florida. And, and he, he dropped some, I think, some really good, insightful uh, tidbits for everybody. Yeah, he did. We kind of had a cancellation for the podcast uh, this week, and he's been a good buddy of ours. Uh, he was in the Yakin' for Bash Challenge. Uh, I got to meet him through that, and I believe he's been on uh, Parker's podcast uh, last year, and I knew that he really capitalizes uh, on the quota hunts here in Florida. Uh, for those not familiar with those, they're generally hunts that you, you have to apply for, um, sometimes you got to build up preference points for them. You get awarded the status uh, uh, to be able to hunt that hunt, and it may just be for a three to five or seven day window. So, sure. and you can't really pick. You can't pick and choose what days you're going to go. You're normally just like, okay, I'm going to go those three days. And he's a guy last year that had a, a ton of success uh, being able to do that. So it was kind of good to have him on 
uh, for a lot of our listeners who are looking at getting into the quota system or already in the quota system on, hey, how do I capitalize in a three to five day hunt in an area where I can't maybe have as much boots on the ground scouting? Yeah, for sure. You know, I think one of the things I want to get better at is going on some of these hunts where I dedicate a solid three to four days into hunting. And I think Nick really gave everybody a good outline as to how to attack places that you may have familiarity with and areas you may not. Um, so I know this is going to be beneficial to uh, to a little bit of everybody, I think. I think there's something everybody can take away from this. So with that being said, why don't we get everybody to the episode? Let's do it. All right, everybody. We are on the phone with a Florida legend, the guy who put Florida on the map, Nick Chandler. Dude, what's going on, man? Man, I appreciate it. I don't really take the honor of a legend at 30 years old, but I really appreciate the uh, respect there. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Oh, better than I deserve, man. Better than I deserve. But, you know, I, I'm, jo- I'm joking there. You and I, we're friends. We talk dang near on a daily basis through Marco Polo. We were able to link up during the saddle event, which is where you and I formally met. You and Chase got to meet on a fishing trip, and, dude, you just – you're one of those guys who lives and breathes Florida deer hunting and uh, couldn't think of a better dude to kind of talk about the quota system that the, that this state has going on. It's kind of a, a weird thing. But before we get into that, why don't you give everybody the elevator pitch as to who, who Nick is? Yeah, like I said, I'm Nick Chandler. I am from uh, Central Florida. I hail from a little town called Umatilla, Florida, which is about as central as it gets. I kind of grew up hunting. Or I, I say kind of, but I, I was more than less like from birth, you know, I, I've always been in the woods. I grew up dog hunting with a bunch of family members of mine, dad, you know, grandpa, all that stuff, aunts, uncles. Just kind of moved my way into still hunting with my dad as years went on and just kind of got more competitive as I got older. I kind of got out of it for about six years, but um, it just, once family settled down and, you know, had kids and stuff like that, just, uh, I just took took the edge and and went with it man i just can't i can't think of anything else any any day of the week any day of the year period (laughs) but uh i'm sure y'all seem to be about the same hunting florida comes with its challenges nick how on a scale of one to ten how do you rate the area of florida better yet where in florida is umatilla it is about 10 five to ten minutes just north of eustace or mount dora area which is about an hour north of Umatilla, right on the outskirts of the Ocala National Forest. Gotcha. So we're talking like piney, uh, piney flats with with scrub oaks, or yeah, around here. I don't know if anybody might be familiar with Paisley, but it's just on the outskirts of Ocala. There's yeah, there's a lot of scrubs, a little bit of swamp throughout, but a lot of pines. But you know, the management areas I hunt are a little are quite a bit different. But that's just what's close here to home. I got you. So. My curiosity it is peaked with you because uh, pine flats with scrub oaks and some swamps. What what do you key in on when you're when you're in that area? If you had to like sum up your deer hunting strategy, what would it be? Well, number one, I try to focus in on where the normal crowd doesn't go um, is overlooked areas and, and thicker areas. I would say just a lot of, of scouting year round. Um, just trying to figure out exactly where the deer are, but uh, finding finding areas where people normally do not frequent has been a big deal for me, and especially getting into the mobile hunting game, saddle hunting, and stuff like that. You can put yourself in a lot better situations. Whereas, you know, pretty much you find somewhere where you can't put a climber, usually you're going to find deer. <laughs> At least around here, it's been that way. I mean, 
And if you can't figure out deer movement, just find where the hunters aren't, and usually you can find the deer. But, uh, yeah, just uh, finding the sign and the, and the hunter sign and stuff has been a pretty big pretty big deal for me. All right, so you, what kind of deer sign are you looking for then? That all depends. Mostly early season, like this time of year, I'm going out and I'm looking for tracks. I'm trying to figure out where, where deer are frequent and, you know, when they're not bothered because usually, you know, your first couple weekends, they're, you know, they're still on the same pattern. They're not jumped around and everything from everybody being in the woods as much. So I try to find the tracks where they're crossing and try to kind of figure it out from there, try to find where I think, you know, the, you know, the path of least resistance from there on out from where the tracks are going. Food sources, your early not just any food sources. I, I really don't pay a lot of attention to acorns because there are so many oak trees around here. It's kind of hard to pinpoint them. At least I found it that way. I mean, I'm sure some people might know a lot more than me. <laughs> but I try to key on the food sources that are there's not as much of them that they you know frequent more than others, like persimmons. I'm sure y'all know a lot about persimmons from what we've talked about before. But <laughs> and it's specific persimmon trees. I found a little key to finding those as well as the season progresses as they ripen i don't know if anybody's ever noticed this but it's something that i kind of got turned on to last year the specific persimmon patches that i found had cobwebs on them hmm. i don't know if you guys have ever, have you ever noticed that at all or not no i haven't yeah i was uh out scouting today and there was a bunch i found a group of persimmons that had some fruit and there were cobwebs kind of all over them Exactly. The ones that I find with the cobwebs, obviously the bugs like them. The deer seem to key in on those more than others. Because there have been persimmon trees that I've hunted and even family members have hunted and never seen a deer. They see deer walk right past them, not even touch them. You know, as if just like they say with acorns, they like certain trees better than others. I find that there's certain persimmon trees they like better than others. A lot of people think they're all the same, but, you know, there's a difference to that. Can you Can you think back to, or Chase, actually, since you just recently did it, what was the bark? What color was the bark on the persimmons that you found? Was it darker or lighter? It was a little bit darker than like your your typical light gray, right? Um, that I've seen uh, on the persimmons. These were these persimmons were kind of in an old uh, swamp, like a dried up swamp bottom, mm-hmm. is where they were at. Um, it, and it was just it was a big cluster of uh, trees, and there were I think there were three or four of them that had some persimmons on them um the rest of them weren't bearing any fruit or anything like that but yeah they were they were a little bit darker maybe than your like kind of light gray that you've kind of shown in some of the persimmons that you found nick have you can you think back to whether or not they were darker or lighter the bark uh, i really I, I i have noticed there's a couple of different breeds of persimmon trees yeah. that are in this some of these areas but they're not in any swampy areas that's the thing they're more or less on um uh, just a hill, you know, more of the hillier, uh, up higher ele- elevation than others. Interesting. Um, some of them are darker though, but I, I haven't really paid as much attention to know which ones are the darker or the lighter bark that are the ones that they're attracted to. Some of the, I mean, from what I have noticed, though, some of the same ones that they are attracted to, if I look at the same type of breed persimmon on another tree, they aren't even, there's no sign of them no really even messing with them. Around. Yeah. Right. <clears throat> but, you know, it could be off, but that's just what I've, recognize the reason why i prompted that is because bo lice who was on the podcast before south southwest georgia guy um he's been helping me kind of probe the southwest georgia area public land and he Mm. told me that the two main varieties that he encounters are swamp and field persimmons and that your swamp persimmons have a darker bark um 
and I've actually found that the leaves are a little bit different as well, but they've got a darker bark and they are sweeter, but only produce about every, I think he said three to four years. They don't produce every year and that they are favorable because they're more sweet. Whereas the field persimmons, they produce every year, but they're less palatable. So I was curious if there was a a correlation between the two, but it sounds like there may not be. It's possible. It's possible. I know there's areas where there's both of them and around the same, you know, within the same vicinity. Yeah. And they're just spread pretty, pretty widely in some of these areas now, but there could be something there. Hmm. I, I just started really keen you know, in the last couple of years. I didn't really pay, put a whole lot of uh, you know thought into it. I'm going to uh, have to keep watching for that now. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Like I said, I've sat, I sat on a patch of persimmons and I'm not normally one to want to try to sit in one spot, but if it's happening there, it's happening there. I'm right. not going to go anywhere. <laughs> I mean, right. I just seen countless amounts of deer. I mean, countless of opportunities that I had just on one little area. So there's gotta be something to that. Interesting. How fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. Uh, unfortunately where I'm at, there's not a lot of persimmons. <laughs> I just happened to find one today, but I, I typically, find uh maybe the males uh, i just never really find the ones producing uh fruit i'll find persimmon trees that just never come up on one that's actually got uh <laughs> fruit on it and today i just happened to get a tip uh, in an area and went over there to scout it wasn't for persimmons it was for something else and i just happened to be walking through and uh, i was like whoa uh, there's some uh persimmons on on those trees there <laughs> i was shocked <laughs> oh yeah yeah, even in the area I'm at, I mean, there's persimmons everywhere, but it seems to be about 10 to 15% of them only produce. Agreed. Yeah. I, so, I mean, it's, it, it's rare, but when uh, you do find one that's, that's producing and it's, you know, it, it's good. There's tracks around it throughout the summertime. Yeah. We, I, I, I found, man, I bet you, oh, I bet you conservatively 30 to 40 persimmon trees this year. Uh, up in southwest mm-hmm. Georgia, and I found three that are holding fruit. And, and some of them are kind of holding fruit, and then one of them is just like balls to the wall. This thing, the the limbs are, are bending. And I looked at my buddy Derek, who was scouting with me this past weekend. I was like, dude, the camera's going on this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Because there's no way I'm not going to know what's coming to that tree. Exactly. <laughs> Oh yeah, if they're liking it, they'll be there. Oh yeah, for sure. sure. So, mm-hmm. are there any other food sources? Yep. Since we're on food sources, you that go. you kind of key on besides just persimmon trees, because you mentioned oaks, uh, where it was kind of something that you didn't really key in on. Is there anything else you key in on? Yeah, if I'm not having too much luck around some of the persimmon patches that I identify earlier in the year or within the season. I'll try to venture on in some other areas that that's because yeah, as the season goes on, I'll kind of pay attention to where people have been hunting that year and years past as well. But I'll try to kind of do a little bit of in-season scouting and find some some decent oaks that might be dropping in some good funnel areas that I know of from years past. That's in at least that's in the areas that, that I've hunted, you know, many years. But uh, I'll just kind of do a little quick run through of certain areas and when i have time and if i do find a good oak tree that looks like it's got a lot of uh, action around it you know a lot of either tracks or just the grounds kind of torn up a little bit where they've been kind of digging around or you know i'll key on something like that but uh there's just so much stuff to eat around here man <laughs> you mm-hmm. can't it's hard to pinpoint one one food source between not just the oak trees but just the browse all day you know there's just stuff everywhere yeah I agree. There's too much browse in Florida. <laughs> I think they they bed in areas where there's browse and they just get up and move around in those little bit of areas throughout the day where they don't have to uh, 
expose themselves uh, as much in Florida. In most cases, they don't even have to get up. They just reach over and don't even got to stand up. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, you know, it's it's difficult. We the food sources are everywhere, but. It seems like, I don't know that agri would make it any better, though, to be honest with you, because then you'd have, like, this monstrous shift from the ag to other, like, they they would filter out from there, because that's what I ran into in southwest Georgia, is when I was scouting out there, I'm basically looking for historical sign, rut sign, to try and figure out what the fall range is going to be. You want to find deer right now? Go walk a field edge with beans. Mm-hmm. You know, and... and Nowhere else even has deer tracks, but you can see rubs and, and scrapes and, and, and old sign that's there. So it's like there's this huge home range shift that happens. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I, it's it's weird. I almost wish they would. I don't know. What do, what do you think, Chase? Do you think Chase, the agriculture would help you find deer? It would help me find them certain times of the year. Well, fair. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> it all depends on what the ag field is. And, uh, and I'll notice that because, uh, in one of the areas I hunt, they generally plant something during the summer. Um, but it always comes down before the season starts. Sure. Like if they're either, if they're planting watermelons or even if they're planting corn or whatever, silage, whatever they're, they're planting, it always comes down before I even get to a chance to try to pattern the deer on those sources anyways. So, uh, I don't really account for any of them because it's, it's always seems to come down like maybe a few weeks before the, before the uh before the season uh starts and then i'm like okay i prefer more i mean i like to scout kind of now especially if it's areas that i don't know but i feel like in florida uh, a lot of your scouting is more in season scouting and getting on uh, yeah. hot sign when it's there mm-hmm. yeah for sure so on top of the added difficulty of finding preferred food sources nick the the majority of your good hunts tend to come off a i don't want to say highly complicated but a a a very odd quota system where you draw for three to seven day hunts. How do you go about targeting different, different hunts when you, when you're applying for them? Well, I, I usually target the main areas that I, that I frequent, you know, the ones that are either close to home or that I know the best, the ones that I know I have the highest chance on. And I'm not saying that they're the best around. They're just the best that I have the most experience in. I will only use my preference points on one to two, maybe three different areas. So on my first drawing, I'll only put in for those ones that I absolutely know I want to waste a preference point on. Other than that, I'll leave half of the field blank. I won't even fill it out on the first drawing. So therefore, if I don't draw it, I still got my preference points for the next year. And also, having having plenty of friends that hunt the same area helps a lot because you can always buddy with them. <laughs> but uh that's been a big help just trying to get into the areas that you you know you you want you know you want to be in between having between having friends and and, and kids as well to hunt with you but um you know me and my dad we we split up a lot and and between my cousin adam and and other people it, you know we always frequent somewhat of the same areas so we'll try to kind of well one apply one year one apply the next where you know you both kind of have the hunt so between a little small group of people we all usually have the hunt we'll just but you know one person buddies with this person and the next year you know what i'm saying just swip swap it around but that's been kind of a way for us to kind of all kind of get to hunt these areas that we we frequent but when it comes to new areas i usually just uh if it's areas that i don't frequent a lot i'll just wait for the redraws put in for them and uh, i'll try to target on the top of the list areas that look like they're you know either i hear they're supposed to be good or 
I have friends of mine that, that hunt there that swear they're good, shows me pictures. I'll put in for them and stuff like that. Um, other than that, I really don't, there, there's, it's more or less a random draw like it is for anybody else. But I think, uh, saving your preference points for your top notch places is definitely, uh, definitely a good thing. Yeah, for sure. Now, are you doing that with, cause for the quotas, they, there's generally an archery, a muzzleloader and a general gun hunt. And I think for each one of those, you have different sets of preference points, right? So if you... You have different sets of preference points. So are you going, okay, well, if I, I'm going to target this for this area for archery only, or are you targeting for archery, muzzleloader, or gun? How do you pick uh, what time of year you want to be on that uh, quota hunt? Well, that all depends on the, the, the rut in that area at that time, you know, because every hunt, there's some some of the areas that I hunt, their peak rut seems to be in archery, and then some seems to be more in muzzleloader and and even if they're both in archery, they can be completely different times of year. So it just all depends. Like I said, I got a couple, two or three main core areas that I'll try to get majority of the hunts in. So I'll just kind of get together with a few of the friends that hunt these areas and my dad and stuff like that. And we'll just kind of correlate. Okay, you have the X amount of preference points for archery. You have X amount of preference points for gun. Okay, I'll put in for this. You put in for that. And it just all okay. kind of correlates with the rut in that specific area of what's going to be the best time to be there. <clears throat> gotcha. Well, what if you don't, what if you don't draw any of the quotas or your buddies or dad or friends don't draw it? Do you have a backup plan for that? I guess redraws. <laughs> just put it for <laughs> every single week, <laughs> every single week until maybe you or somebody, you know, draws it or <laughs> you always got walk on property to go on to fill in the gaps. Right. How how are you balancing messing up your hunting areas during this process? Because I had a friend of mine reach out very concerned that I was out scouting some of these areas near the house here. But, you know, the hunting here doesn't kick off until October 19th or something this year. Mm -hmm. You get drawn for some of these limited entries. If, if your season's starting in September, October... Uh, it sounds like a lot of your scouting is going to be done reactively throughout the season. That That's that's uh-huh. a lot of what you do. You obviously react to the best sign. But do you ever right. do any scouting in the, the months leading up to that? And if you do, how do you balance making those scouting trips productive and yet not you know unduly pressuring the deer that you're trying to, to, to get information on? Okay, yeah. Um, I try not to do a whole lot. I try to stay on the roads or boundary roads in most cases when i'm doing a lot of this stuff when i'm going to when it's getting closer to season i like to set my cameras where they're not too far off the uh when i say roads i'm not talking about the main road leading in there but just kind of like your boundary look you know how they cut the fire breaks or the uh you know around the actual boundary lines mm-hmm. of the properties and stuff like that i try to keep them you know on crossings and stuff like that to where i'm not getting off the of the road to kind of detour the the, you know the the deer's natural movements and stuff like that um right but i'll definitely be out there i mean i'm usually out there at least every weekend this time of year up until about the last 30 days i'll try to stay out of the main areas that i know i'm going to be in but um Mm -hmm. as far as keeping the pressure off of the deer that's like i said just just trying not to get in their natural movements i mean if you can if you can help keep your scent down as much as you can, even though you're scouting, 
try not to, you know, just walk all over guys creation out there. Just, <laughs> I mean, put up a few cameras, get some inventory and, you know, it, it's going to change dramatically once, once the hunt opens, because I don't know if it's like that up there. I think it might be in Joe Bud, but usually or not anywhere up in North Florida, or anywhere Florida, but around here, most of the management areas, they allow you the day before to go in and scout. And I think we've talked about this before on here, but it just kind of really messes up all deer movement. So it's kind of hard to know exactly where they're going to be. Sure. But, um, anything extra is just going to throw them off. I mean, even though somebody else might come in there the next day and completely walk the whole premises of where you're about to be, at least, <laughs> you know, you haven't, you know what I'm saying? It, yeah. It, anything helps. So. Right. Well, it's kind of hard with the system because uh, a lot of the times you don't, well, you won't really find out till maybe a couple of months beforehand. And on the redraws, you may not find out till maybe uh, less than a month beforehand. So you, you got to get in there. I mean, mm-hmm. there's no, there's kind of no way around it, especially if it's an area that you've never, say it's an area that you, uh, which I always like is every now and then they'll open up these management areas that haven't been hunted in a few years or something. They'll open up a piece of management land to hunt. And if you've never stepped foot on that piece of property, uh, I would say, and you have less than a month away, you're going to have to get in there and walk around and uh, do a lot of scouting. I would say, I don't think it, to me personally, I don't think it's going to throw them off that much for one person to be scouting a management area that might be I don't know. I don't know what the quota hunt management area is down there. Maybe 2,000, 5,000, 10,000 acres. Um, I think if you just go in there on a day or two whim and just go scout, like do a quick speed scouting mission and Mm -hmm. try to find some areas that you've already maybe cyber scouted uh, prior, um, I think you're, I think you're, you're going to be fine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, it's just difficult. difficult. You also, I mean, I think it's kind of, it's kind of unfortunate because it's not one of those like strategies that you really want to bank on. But the fact also remains that on those hunts where it's, you know, only open for, you know, five days and two days before it for scouting, you're going to have this monstrous influx of people. And so just because you're in there and you may bump them, you know, a hundred yards the other direction, you, you know, Bubba could also be walking in there, you know, <laughs> 30 minutes before right. daylight and, ki- and kind of kick the deer up kind of per se. Right. So I, I think, you know, it's weird because I think if you told a lot of people, a lot of well, you know, well-to-do people that you're going to go into these areas two days before you're going to have only five days to hunt it, I think it would really wig people out. But that's just kind of Florida, right? It, it's it's yeah, a, exactly. It's a weird animal. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, like I so said, you can put in as much effort as you want, but things can completely change a day or two before they hunt, and everything will be off course. Mm-hmm. I've seen it. Plenty, plenty of times because I do a lot of summer sitting in certain years. I go out there and I watch deer on just crazy patterns. It's identical every single day. The minute that the season hits, I don't even see the deer. It's just <laughs> you got trucks driving in that's not normally driving in. You know, people walking around and stuff like that. It yeah. just completely puts everything off course. But yeah, like you said, if you don't have the time to prepare for it, if you get drawn for a hunt, and especially an area you do not know. The only the best thing you have is to go out there and scout it. Yeah, if you you might bust something out of there, but your chances are better knowing where the deer are versus just guessing. So yeah, you are right, Chad. I mean, I completely agree with that. I guess I was kind of more or less in my mind going off areas that I do know very well. So yeah, that would be about the you know the best thing to do right. if it's an area that's new. 
Well, it definitely helps if you've got a, a good history with an area and, and know what they've done in years past. But I, yeah, I was mainly just talking about if someone applied for a quota, uh, for maybe first time or something like that, or they just get, they just apply for a new quota somewhere else. Cause they want to go try, uh, somewhere else. Uh, it's kind of difficult when they give you like, okay, you can drive your vehicle in there a day before or something. Some of them kind of let you, uh, I think you can use, uh, bikes or walk in, uh, the areas, but you can't drive in those areas, uh, before that. But that, if you don't have a bike, uh, some of those walks would be a long, <laughs> long walks because of the, the limited access to it so you're, you're gonna just have to go in there uh maybe the day before and uh it scout and uh cover a lot of ground um i don't i don't think that and there's going to be other people doing that as well and that's probably why it throws them for a loop because they're not used to having all that uh influx in that's another thing yeah. i use to advantage is an e-bike right. covering a okay. lot more ground <laughs> than you normally would be able to <laughs> oh yeah Yep, yep. I've, uh, the e-bike definitely sounds uh, uh, appealing for sure, uh, mainly because you're not leaving any ground scent going in, and you can scout so much faster. Right. Um, there's a bunch of walk-in areas like where I'm at, and they may be a mile, mile and a half back where you can walk down these roads. And I'm like, well, shoot, if I had an e-bike, um, I would cut probably 45 minutes yeah. to an hour off my scouting time. Right. Um, and I'm not leaving scent all over the roads and everything else walking down there. So I can definitely see how, uh, that they would probably help you, but how have you found that, um, the e-bikes have made you more successful? I believe like you just mentioned that it allows you to cover more ground in a less amount of time. Whereas before I would just ride my bike. I was I'm more out to go now whenever I can just easily go out there very quickly. If I don't have, say I don't have the time during the week to really take a five hour bike ride. Some of the stuff is miles back in where I go because the gates closed, but you know, normally during hunting season it's open. So it's not really much of a drive, but you know, if you want to go out there and you've got a specific area that's way far back, it's not that I'm lazy and don't want to go, but it's the matter of it's taking less time for me on a busy schedule. I can zip back there real quick, get what I got to get done, check more areas. Whereas, you know, I got to wait for a day that I got plenty of time to get back there and, and you know, take plenty of breaks because <laughs> it's, you know, it's, you know, 200 degrees down here. So, uh, that just, it, I think that's the biggest thing is the time factor. It, it really takes a lot less time. You're able to get more done in the same amount of time if you have the time. Um, but just able to go more often. Mm -hmm. Right. And how about the, uh, you just mentioned the heat. Does it help with the uh, perspiration and everything else? I'm sure it helps with that. So that's another bonus. Right. Going into the stand, whenever you're trying to uh, keep your scent down as much as possible, exactly. You just you keep from perspirating near as much. That's been a big <laughs> factor as well. You're not sitting there right. drenched, either, even walking. I mean, heck, half the time just sitting here, you're sweating. So you've got a nice little cool breeze going as you're riding in, and you're not killing yourself to get there. And by the time you get there, you know you're nice and and he just says, nice little walk. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Hey, awesome. We don't we do not do a whole lot of sweating here, though, fortunately. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, I, I talked to my buddy one time from Ohio, and yeah, we're, it was like December, dude. I swear to God, it was like December. And I'm walking into Walmart, and he's like, what you up to? And I said, oh, man, I'm in here getting some Thermacell cartridges. And he's like, dude, I haven't ran my Thermacell since, like, September. I was like, okay. 
what you want a cookie <laughs> like <laughs> it, 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 it it's still 80 degrees midday sometimes up here you know it's should we run them almost year round down here <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah the further, further south, south you get you're yeah. definitely sure. running yeah oh yeah year round i remember so, even when we got a nice little cool cool front come in it's still they'll, you know you think that they're not they're not going to be around but all of a sudden here they come <laughs> they're sluggish and you can hear them coming oh yeah <laughs> yep oh yeah yeah uh, yep. go ahead jace no, no, I was just saying that makes it not. I mean, I'm kind of spoiled with my private areas that I hunt because I won't. I won't whip the thermocell out all season long because they're super. They're super dry areas. But then, as soon as I hit public land, any of the public land spots I hit, then I'm whipping like dueling thermocells out. I, heck, I might even spray down, man, because I ain't down with the mosquitoes. So I may even spray myself down with. Uh, whatever to off or whatever and just hope that the wind's in my favor for the most part uh, in some of those areas because sometimes even the thermocells ain't doing anything and you're just getting tagged oh yeah um, yeah i know yeah. i usually uh usually soak my clothes in permethrin yeah and right use the uh thermocell in conjunction if you don't man even even with the thermocell like you said the lightest little breeze is like it just carries it right on away from you and they just they're right in there anyways yeah, Sawyer makes this makes this stuff called Picaridin or something like that uh-huh. that I just saw yeah. the other day, and it's supposed to be their version of like mosquito repellent um, without yeah. any smell. So okay, I don't know, Chase, are you familiar with it? I think I've heard of it. My buddy uh, that I'm going out to Iowa with and I hunt with down here, he mentioned something the other day of some type of lotion that you put on. What? That's supposed to, that's supposed to combat the mosquitoes. Hmm. Yeah. He said he rubbed, he said, cause he, he went and hunted a, uh, quota hunt yeah. down in uh, zone a, um, I think last week. And he said if he, if, as long as he had the thermocell going and he had put that, whatever that lotion was on, uh, that he had, um, he said that the, it was definitely uh, much more bearable down there. So I've got to, I'll ask him what that lotion was that he was putting oh, yeah. on. He said the only area he kind of got tagged was an area that he couldn't reach with his back. Um, so I'm like, well, if you got a buddy, like, hey, man, you get my back, I get your back <laughs> type thing. <laughs> but I'd be interested in that because he didn't, like I say, he didn't mention any that it, that it smelled weird or uh, anything like, and he was hunting in shorts and a t-shirt. No. Oh yeah. With that. So just because it's, I mean, it's South Florida, Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but he also mentioned that there weren't any ticks or chiggers down there. So I just, that just blew my mind. Cause he was walking those, he was scouting and doing everything with the uh, short sleeve shirt and uh, shorts down there. So oh, no ticks or chiggers, huh? That's, that's what he said. said. He said he didn't pick up any of it while he was down there. there. Oh, nice. And, I can and do he scouted a ton. Yeah, yeah. Ooh, I don't know. I, <laughs> for sure. If you had to, if you had to make me pick between the two, I'm definitely going ticks and chiggers. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. For sure. I'll just put the the permethrin on. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. That's a that's a that's a no brainer for me. But yeah, yeah. Uh, right. <laughs> okay, Nick. Let's kind of go into. So you've you've got the quotas that you want. Well, let's say this is perfect. A perfect year. You've got the quotas uh, that y- you wanted to get, or your buddies or your friends got the quotas. How do you go about? Uh, are most of your quotas down there three? Are they three days or four days down there? And if they are, um, how do you make the best of that time? Yeah, most of them are three days. Um, well, yep. I'll tell you, the number one thing is staying in the stand as much as possible. <laughs> Um, right. 
uh, I think I mentioned it earlier, just trying to put yourself in the situation where majority of people are not. Um, how, how do you figure that out? Because on these systems, like people are bringing their stand, most of the time people are bringing their stand, either their climbers, saddles, or maybe they brought in a stand the day before. So how, how do you know where people are going to be hunting to avoid that pressure? Well, the first day I usually just kind of go out on a whim. I might sit up in the morning and just some, you know, in a half a, a halfway spot that I think is somewhat decent, but I'm not going to go into anything great. This is a new area. If, you know, like say you cyber scouted or just kind of went through, ran through glance, I'll just kind of throw up in an area. Then I'll just kind of spend the rest of the day just trying to see where people are parked at. And then maybe, you know, a lot of people around here put up flagging tape and you just kind of mark <laughs> off these areas and hope that there's nobody, you know, without, you know, outside of those areas and just kind of drive around and just kind of get a better look on the area and, and where everybody might be. You're not going to know exactly where they're going to be, but just try to stay, you know, uh, away from, and then you just kind of go back through, look at your maps, maybe uh, if you have that ability and uh, look at what might look good for funnels and, and, and just areas that might hold deer from what you can tell from aerial footage and, You'll scout those areas in the middle of the day on your first day. Um, that's what we've always, that's what we've usually done. Do you find that there's a certain thing that maybe the pressure deer do, like relative to the areas that you hunt? Like, do they seek swamps at that point or are they just, is it still just a random, they're, they're, they just get kind of scattered all over the place or do they kind of just go bunch up in certain areas when, when they know that there's hunting pressure? I, I used to think it usually been they used to go to the thickest, darkest, deepest places, the wettest places that it's hardest to get to. But in the middle of the season, I've jumped them up on the side of the road and underneath an oak tree, right. a low-hanging oak tree. So I just think they just kind of more or less scatter and go to this place that that specific deer thinks is safe. Um, and a lot of people think, and I used to be the same way, they think a lot harder than they should about where the deer actually are. Um I killed every single deer this past season right off of the uh, right off of a road. I mean, I'm not talking about a main road, just an actual access road for forestry. But deer crossroads, they're going to be around roads, and I think they they're they're a lot closer than what you would think. And this is all throughout season, not just beginning of the season, middle season. It's all throughout season. So I, I think they more or less just scatter and go to areas that they feel safe, thicker right. areas for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can, last year, uh, that buck uh, that I killed on that quota hunt, uh, he, he was probably, well, he was with that doe, and like you mentioned, they were probably bedded off the road, maybe 60, 70 yards off of a road. It's not, it's, it was not a road you could drive, but it was just a, walk, a road that you could walk on um, to uh, access areas, but they were kind of bedded in an area where there wasn't too many trees you could choose to that someone could choose to hunt from right they were they were kind of in a bunch of short pine pine trees where probably like you mentioned got overlooked by uh people and there just wasn't a bunch of pressure in that area right and they're going to go to those areas that just less amounts of pressure for sure i think also they the deer I, i've noticed that they adapt to pressure in very um almost predictable ways like I think every property is a little bit nuanced, but in properties where there's a lot of through traffic throughout the year, they're very close to the roads, like you said. 
Um, those areas tend to be areas that get a lot of sunlight, which there's probably a lot of food near them. This tree, the, you know, if you think about it, the oak trees probably get a little more sunlight. So maybe they're more prone to produce. But, you know, last year I hunted a piece of property and I killed my doe. Dude, I'm talking like 40 yards off of a, a drivable road. Anybody who drove up and down that road saw me hanging out of that tree, and it was really weird. <laughs> it, it went so far against who I was as a hunter up until that point, but I had right. been going really deep, and I found those deer right there off the freaking road. And mm. when Chase came up not long after, a couple months afterwards, we did a late season hunt. There were a lot of guys hunting that area, but they didn't go very deep. And just last weekend... We went to that same area, and me and my buddy pushed in a little bit deeper, and maybe 150 yards off the road where it got just just started to get a little thicker, rubs everywhere. Just just rubs everywhere. I mean, I, I bet you mm-hmm. we saw 20, 25 different rubs in a trail that was beat down so badly, I put a, a, a camera up. So, you know, I, I think that the deer, if they want to be in an area, they're not going to go far from it. They just might shift to the nearest security cover that isn't getting beat down by you know a floor cracker (laughs) exactly right and i think on some of these hunts you can when you're doing your scouting you can just look at certain areas and go yep somebody's going to set up here Mm -hmm. somebody's going to set up here somebody's going to set up here and then that's when you're kind of like okay these are obvious spots where you know people are going to set up then you can just go ahead and mark those on your list going into that first day yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like you mentioned, you can mark it off first day. I'm not going to try to hunt here at all because I'm pretty sure someone's going to be here. And then you mentioned come out, do some uh, human scouting and figure out where they're at. And you go, oh, shoot, no one's over here. Mm-hmm. There's no sign of anybody over here. Maybe I'll hit this area up tomorrow because I thought it looked really good. But I just assumed that everyone else thought would think it looked really good as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the funny thing about it is a lot of them hunt out of climbers, but – I don't know if you guys have noticed this. Have you noticed that they chew up the same tree every time they go in there? Like, oh yeah. Like, there, there's sometimes yeah. I'm like, man, somebody has to hunt this, and then I'll spin around and find a pine tree. <laughs> the base of it will just be like it shed bark, like the tree just like had mange or something, and it's just shedding all of its bark. And it's like, okay, well, somebody hunts there every Saturday and Sunday morning. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah, you can pick them out very easily. Most I'm, of the time, I mark those trees. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's usually somewhere where they can see a, lot, a pretty good little ways yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, <laughs> nice open, pretty hammock or something like that. Yeah, yeah that's usually where you'll find them. Yeah, well, and there's oftentimes a lot of deer sign near there too. I mean, it's not you know they're not necessarily bad spots, but you know, a smarter deer isn't going to step out during daylight there. That's for sure. For sure. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Definitely. Yeah. They could be making that sign at nighttime. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's the thing about sign is, you, unless you got cameras there, running, you you there's you know have no idea when they're making that sign there. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. You can pretty much just might as well just mark off all those areas that are that wide open and stuff like that. You know, they're not going to be there just hanging out. No. Field edges and stuff like that. They, uh, you just I have found some pretty good luck on some of that sign that's within thick cover as well, but. Anything out there in the open, might as well mark that off. Do you, when you go to some of these areas, if the sign isn't isn't what you hoped it to be, or you're not seeing animals, do you ever back off and do like observation hunts to try and survey some of these areas? Maybe get way up high in a tree and just watch to 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 pick out movement. <laughs> yes, I actually do that 
quite a bit, and that's actually kind of how I had my accident last year. I've known to been, I've been well known to free climb trees, a lot of these thick oak trees and stuff like that. Um, I'll just try to get as high as I can. Just, I mean, just ridiculous, it, and it's not the smartest thing in the world, but <laughs> I can get to a good vantage point and get way up in the tree and just see for quite a ways and try to try to just see where they're moving through where how they're working around i kind of you know if i have an idea on where people are hunting i'll actually watch deer go around where these people are and then they'll just kind of help you get in the right areas where you need to be right try to get on top of them hmm. yeah that's uh i need i think i need to do more observation hunts that's something that chase has always pushed me to do but it's uh i don't know it's hard it's hard not to want to like feel like you're close for the kill <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. like you, you feel like you're pulling yourself out of the game, but, um, it seems, especially seemed, when you only got three days, right? That's the thing. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's more difficult on the quota hunts yeah. to probably do that for sure than it is if you're doing it on walk-in and you got the whole season <laughs> to, uh, to do that. That's but true. Hey, it paid off for you last year, Walter. So it did. <laughs> I don't know why every hunt for you should be an observation hunt now. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have experienced the same thing, but sometimes I'm doing observation hunts and I'll have one walk right underneath me. That's what he's talking about. Oh, yeah. yeah. I guess I didn't catch yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, mainly because it's probably just a spot that is, gets overlooked. Like you said, yeah. it's just an area you're like, oh, I'm going to sit way back here and look. And then oh, the deer's <laughs> kind of been pushed <laughs> in those areas. And you're like, oh, yeah, exactly. All right. I'll take this free gift <laughs> right here. Yeah. It, you know, it was one of those things where. I think we can, we get too easily, uh, get kind of like overthinking things and there's no mm-hmm. hard mass last year. And there's this big open grassy area full of Forbes and Blackberry and Greenbrier and all kinds of stuff. And, and I'm getting frustrated and Chase is like, dude, just set up and watch from a distance. And dude, that freaking doe came from like 125 yards away on a beeline straight to my tree. <laughs> I have, I could not believe what happened, man. But then when I started looking around and I watched the footage, she was eating the whole way through. I was sitting in the middle of a freaking food plot. I didn't even realize it, you know, like, oh yeah, you know, it's, I don't know. Sometimes it's easier than we make it out to be. And sometimes you just get lucky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, I have a, I have, I feel like it's more or less the fact that we just think too hard about it. Sure. Because it seems to be the times that I just kind of go throw up a stand somewhere. That's when it usually happens. Yeah. Well, luck can run both ways, and I'm curious uh, if you'd be willing to share. I'm sure it's painful still, and uh, but uh, <laughs> you, you have what has to be the most unlucky of stories I have ever heard of when it comes to public land deer hunting. Of course, yeah, <laughs> I'd, I'd be glad to share it. <laughs> so, so, but that being said, anything I say is any is just what my perspective was of the situation. Sure, I wasn't a fly on the tree of the person who I believe done what was done. So, I'm not saying that this is exactly what happened, but that's just my perspective. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, some of this, some of this is what it is and then some of it i think is probably speculation to to what happened but um so i don't even really know where to start with this but was this one of your quota hunts yeah yeah it actually was my third quota hunt of the season okay last year okay um gosh i guess i I guess i can give you the floor Do, do this set the stage tell us about this hunt 
uh, kind of tell everybody why you picked the area you did and then just kind of take the story and run with it because I'm just going to make this more difficult than it needs to be. You got plenty of time, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You got plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and start back from the first time we or I or I guess I could say we as me and my dad caught a glimpse of this deer. This was back in 2017. It was it was on a trail camera and he immediately got the name Gimpy because he had a bad right foot. He was limping like crazy. I don't know if he got it caught in a trap, snake bite. I don't know what it was. But it was a deer we called Gimpy. We saw him or what we think to have saw him on the hoof a few times out there in an area that I've hunted since I was, I don't even know how old I was. We've always hunted this area. It's real close to home. But it, um, anyways, so fast forward to last year, 2019. We had only gotten one more picture of him during the 2018 off season, the summer of 2018, and never saw him during that hunting season. But I knew the area that he frequented in because I had gotten, a, you know, obviously the first video and then a picture of him the next year. And I kind of had words of the 10 point in the area that had been spotted and stuff like that. And I just kind of knew the natural tra uh, travel corridors of good mature bucks of that area over the past 15 years of hunting out there. I just kind of knew which way the good bucks kind of stayed. I knew the doe bedding areas and I started seeing this nice track throughout the summer. So I keyed in on it. I never put a camera up there because it just never, it just seems to never in the, in the past I've done it and it just, it just didn't, the track disappeared as the season came. So it's just kind of like, Oh, maybe I'll hunt here. He might be still coming through here as the season progresses because it seems like as soon as the hunters come in there, he's gone. But I had a buddy uh, that, that, that hunted. I was like, Oh, you know what? I'm just going to go throw up over here and uh, maybe something will happen. Well, he slipped in on me right at daybreak. And it was one of those situations where he walked through a small little opening, like literally less than 10 yards in front of me. I was just in some thick stuff. He walked right in front of me and never even had the chance to pick up my bow and shoot him. So I sat there, ended up killing another buck that, that same hunt. And, uh, and fast forward to the next weekend, I killed that buck Sunday, the buck before. I killed him on a Sunday. I just went ahead and left my set. I had the next hunt. I said, you know what? This is pretty much scratched off because that buck ran exactly to the bedding area that I, I expected any other deer and doe and everything like that. They would come into heat. They'd be in this area. So I was like, you know what? I'll just hunt here next next Friday morning and then move my stuff. And, you know, usually after that, after you put that much scent, dragging a deer out. So usually the sightings go down a little bit. But I guess the feed tree was pretty hot. Here comes the next Friday morning. I'm sitting there and a little spike comes through and kind of filming him getting some B-roll footage and stuff. And then a doe comes through from another direction. I'm filming her, and I don't know what in the world made me look, but I look the direction she came, and here I see this I, I, this huge buck just standing here in the bushes, just staring that direction. So immediately I recognize the rack, and luckily I had about 15 to 20 minutes to calm down because that's about how long it took him for to finally make his way through. And then, look, I had the camera ready to go. Because I, I was obviously filming the doe and stuff like that. I watched her come through. And she kind of came through at an angle from my from almost directly in front of me to my right a little bit. Straight to like behind me to the left. So I didn't know where she was because the, the, I was kind of in the, like a sable palm. So I had stuff all hanging behind me. Oaks, little small short oaks all behind me. I couldn't see where the heck she was. I had my bike right underneath my tree. 
luckily there were some like short palmettos around the base of my tree where they couldn't really see the bike or anything like that. Plus I threw some on top of it. So I'm in my back of my mind. I'm thinking, Oh great. This deer, this doe is going to come around here and bust me. He's going to see my bike. She's going to watch me draw or something. So I'm, then I'm starting getting nervous again. <laughs> this deer I've been hunting for years is finally making his way in here to me. It's just like a ghost. I hadn't been able to get on top of him for season after season. And, um, yeah, it's like a roller coaster up, down, up, down. And he just stops. I'm like, oh, he's not going to come in. He's not going to come in. Finally, he works his way in. And then uh, I pull back and he stops facing me. But the weekend prior or two weekends prior to that, I had a deer that ducked a little bit on me and I had a marginal shot. It hit him in kind of like the lower spine area. And I had a it was a horrible situation. The deer ended up living that I that I'm aware of. So that's the thing that went through my mind. He stopped. He's facing me i was going to shoot him right down through the chest but i'm like man i don't want to hit something and you know the same situation happened again so i waited a second then he moved turned broadside and as i'm trying to adjust the shot and move up to his front shoulder where i wanted to be it went off a little bit too early but i should have stopped him but at 10 yards a deer that suspicious in my mind, on public land, a deer that's hard to even get a glimpse of. I'm thinking, if I make any noise right now, this deer is gone. But you know what I'm saying? He mm-hmm. was he was on ten. It, that deer, it took him forever to come after that doe, even you know. But uh, so I didn't want to make any noise. I just tried to follow him through, and and I and, you know ended up going off a little too soon. That's where the the name gut shot kind of came in. But uh, no, it, it wasn't quite as far back as what it looks like in some of the footage. It was a lot farther back than what I, what, you know, would particularly want to aim for, but it was probably around back of the liver area. But it was a complete pasture. I knew the deer was going to die. So in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay. I went back to the truck. I viewed the footage on my laptop. I blew it up to where I could really see what happened. You know, as soon as it happened, I seen the blood spot as he jumped off. He mule kicked and he ran. I'm thinking, oh man, that was a horrible shot. You know, um, I need to give this deer some time. Went back did footage like i just said and then i went and got the i had a buddy out there hunting with me at the time and uh so i circled around and as i circled around i noticed that there was somebody hunting on the other side of the block as me i said oh great that's the same direction that that deer ran to like well man, what's the chances of that <laughs> <laughs> so uh, i was like well i'm gonna go get so and so because he wasn't familiar with the area he's actually out of lakeland so i went around to get him so I was like, hey, you know, I shot a deer, blah, 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 whatever. Let's go try to find an arrow. At, at this time, it had been two hours or so, hour and a half to two hours. And uh, so we circle around, come back around the back way, and uh, try to look for the arrow. Never could find the arrow. I blood trailed. I, I guess I left out. When I first got down 30 minutes afterwards, I blood trailed into the block a little bit, about 50 yards or so, 50, 60 yards, and it wasn't the best blood trail, so I backed out. And it was, I don't know if you guys have ever blood trailed through an oak hammock where it's nothing but like the red and brown leaves on the ground. Oh, yeah. But as blood dries in that type of setting, it gets hard to see, especially when it's not like a gushing blood trail. Right. So if it's a faint blood trail when there's no, there's nothing for that blood to catch on, but old like live oak leaves that are just really reddish, brownish, it just kind of, it's almost the same exact color. So when it was fresh, it was pretty, it was fairly easy to see. But as I was going in there, I heard something get up that I think I couldn't tell if it was something that got up, a squirrel ran up. I couldn't tell what it was. So I just kind of backed out. I was like, I'm going to give it some time. So anyways, I went around and uh, we ended up looking for the arrow, couldn't find the arrow. So I was like, well, maybe it stayed in the deer. It disappeared through the deer, thought it was a pass through, could never find it. 
could be under the grass. It was in a grassy area, whatever. I just kind of threw it aside. It's like, well, we'll go back to the truck for about another hour, hour and a half, and uh, give it a little bit more time. Then we'll go and just kind of grid search the area and see if we can't, you know, pick him up. And uh, about the time I made it back to the truck, I get a call from a buddy. So I noticed that that truck was gone as I circled back around. I was like, okay, well, that truck's gone now. Maybe they went to lunch. And uh, I don't even remember what time it was. It was probably 10, 11 o'clock at, at that time. A buddy called me. He was like, hey, man, I just seen a, I just seen a truck leave from back there. They had a giant buck in the back of their truck. I said, really? <laughs> like, what is the chances of that? You know, I was like, holy cow. I was like, man, there's no way. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to go up to the check station. I'm going to, I'm just going to see. So we take a little ride up there and I get out and I walk up and cause they, at this particular area, they always take pictures of the, each, especially the bucks, every single buck, they'll take a picture. If you don't want the picture, they'll take the picture of the deer itself, not with you with it. But most of the time it's you with the deer. I think they do that at Joe Bud, don't they? Mm-hmm. Only if it's a good one or something. Yeah, it's gotta be, it's gotta be a booner. Okay. Well, this area they do it with just about every deer that comes through there. But, um, Anyway, so I knew it was going to be up there, so I was like, oh, I'm going to go check it out. So as soon as I walk up, I'm like, oh, man, my heart dropped. I was like, oh, man, you got to be kidding me, man. But and at that time, I was like, man, well, that's that's great. I'm glad somebody, you know, if I didn't kill it, I'm glad somebody put it out of its misery. And then they're like, man, you know, there was another wound on that deer, and they acted kind of funny about it. I said, what? I said, I was like, well, I got video footage of me shooting that deer. So <laughs> I said, what do you mean they acted funny? Well, there was there was wounds on it, and we noticed there was this, – this is the bio, biologist that were telling me this. You know, we noticed there was other wounds on it, and they were like, oh, that, that's that's old wounds. That's uh, addle wounds or just something like that. They were just acting really funny about it. This is coming from them. I, I'm, I wasn't there. But anyways, I was like, well, that's kind of weird. Well, I want to know what happened. I want to know where that deer went. I want to know what happened. Now, And also they said that – the wound where they killed him, it was in the neck. And they said, it didn't look like a normal neck wound to me. I said, really? They said, no, it looked like they slid it with a knife. So then, you know, in my head, I'm thinking, well, well God dang, man, maybe they finished it off or something. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like they, maybe they found it dead, cut its throat or something. You know what I mean? In my head, I just wanted to know what happened. So we went back out there. I just kind of blood trailed around. I, I continued the blood trail that I started to begin with. And it just kind of, it was hard to see at that point because the blood was dried up. It wasn't a very big blood trail to begin with, but it was just drying up like crazy. And I just, I wasn't having any success, but where I stopped the last part, I found blood. I just happened to look over and I found a ladder stand. I was like, well, obviously whoever was in this stand, it ran right by them. So I started looking around a little bit and then all of a sudden I see soybeans everywhere. I mean, uh. pounds of soybeans. So then I'm starting to get heated. <laughs> it's like, it's one thing. For it to be a fishy situation, but then I'm I'm finding bait within 75, 80 yards from where I'm hunting. It's just kind of mm. like, I don't want to be mixed up with this. Yeah. No, at that point, I'm just curious. I'm like, okay, you know, I, I'm an avid hunter. I try to be as, as legal as I can. Here these guys are baiting, and, and it's already fishy that they ended up with the deer that I shot. It wasn't the best shot, but God forbid, you know, I know I killed the thing. It would have died eventually, but here they are hunting over bait. So I just got I just got aggravated. So I called I called the FWC and I didn't know who it was at the time. And I called FWC. I said, hey, I'm just I'm here to report a bait site. I found bait, you know, within the vicinity close to where I'm hunting. And I don't feel comfortable with it being here. I, I mean, heck, if I'd have hunted 20, 30 yards closer, I'd have been accused of hunting over bait. <laughs> so I'm like, gosh, I don't want that around me. Yeah. So they came out like a day or so later and and uh, 
they came and they checked it all out. And at that, by that time, I had followed in another trail of flagging tape shortly around the corner from there and came up on another stand that was loaded down with bait. And so when he got there to check out the one, I said, well, hey, you know, after I called, I found this stand here. It's loaded down with bait. Um, you know, so he came over there, he checked it out. And he's like, you got to be kidding me. He was pretty ticked off about the situation. I said, well, well, we'll try to figure out who it is. So fast forward, I think it was the end of that hunt, the third day. Um, the only, the, the truck that I saw parked over there was who I came to suspect who it was. They told me, hey, if you see so-and-so show back up, give us a call, we'll come out. And that's a, you know exactly what happened. They came on a Sunday, they ended up showing up out there and confronting them. And of course, one of them admitted to it. The one who ended up with the deer did not admit to hunting over bait. Mm. And had a big fabricated, what seemed to me to be fabricated story about how he shot the deer through the bushes at 45 yards, walking away in the back of the neck, came out the front of the neck, standing in a palmetto tree, chasing does after I shot him through the guts. That was the story. So to me, it just it's just bizarre. <laughs> I'd never seen a deer chase a chase a you know buck chase a doe after being you know a pass through shot through the whether it's the vitals or the guts or whatever, but, uh, you know, it beats me, but, um, you know, they, that's about the end of it there. That's about where it left off. I mean, there was just nothing that they could really do about it at that point. Mm. But I mean, you ask me, I mean, there's no way to prove anything, but there was enough sign for me to believe that things went way differently than what they were accused to have went. That sucks, dude. <laughs> Like that, For sure. That royally blows. Like, that is just, man. I mean, it's just like, it's like, it's like salt in an open wound, right? Like, for him to, to, to walk away potentially with your deer, then to find out the baiting was happening on top of that. I mean, that just, that, that's that got to be like a, why do I even bother kind of situation, you know? I mean, you're doing everything you can the right way, and, you know. Right. Yeah. I'd be pissed. You're a better man than me. Probably already let it go. <laughs> <laughs> Do what now? I I said you probably already like grieved grieved through the process and 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 cycled through all seven steps a couple times. But I'd still be like Chase would be like Walter, come on, you've got to let this go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me, man. Uh, I think about it almost every day. Yeah, it gets to me. But my biggest thing was I was like, well, you know. It ain't about getting this deer in my hands. I really don't care. It's just the fact of what they were doing. Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, they need to be fined or whatever. It's like they don't—they don't need to be doing that crap around here. You no. Know? Yeah. It is what it is. But um, hopefully, uh, hopefully one of them learned. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a good story to tell, but it's not an awesome situation. But hopefully, hopefully they get their stuff right, man. I mean, it's that's one of those stories that. Uh, you're, you're, you're always going to be the uh, life of the party when somebody's like, oh, well, I missed this buck. Oh, well, I shot a poop, a Pope and young white, white oak tree in Kentucky. Like, hold my beer. I shot the best deer of my life and someone else stole it and was, it was hunting over <laughs> soybeans on public land. The whole conversation is going to stop right there. So <laughs> you, you got yourself a Pope and young story guaranteed. <laughs> oh yeah, for sure, man. For sure. That is for sure. Oh man. Well, it couldn't have happened any better, man. It just, the way everything went through. Yeah. I mean, the deer walked in within 10, 10 to 15 yards. I had it all recorded. It just, just ideal situation. And then, you know, go from cloud nine to just hit the ground. I sure. mean, actually literally hit the ground, but, uh, 
<laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> Do you have any uh, bucks or anything that you're going to be after this year on any of your quota hunts? Oh, yeah. Actually, there is several in the same area that are actually looking pretty good this year. So we are en route to possibly another good season. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. But that all depends. I'm pretty sure this uh, particular area got put on. Uh, the pin got dropped on Facebook a time or two. So we'll see how that Uh-oh. plays out. <laughs> Chase, I don't remember getting that pin. Do you? <laughs> no. No. I I don't look at any of the Central Florida pages for the most part, <laughs> wherever the wherever the pin would be. <laughs> it was all over uh, a couple of those Facebook forums there for a while, man. I'm like, oh man, I, I I didn't say a word, but it was like, oh man, can this thing please just die? <laughs> oh. Nick every day is waking up and reporting posts, hoping they get deleted. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, holy cow. Oh man. <laughs> but. Well, dude, I, like I said, it is what it is. I, I'm hopeful that we can all get up and hunt one day. I think it would be an absolute blast to travel across the state and oh, yeah. and hunt some different areas. Because really, September and October, heck, even for me, November doesn't really hold anything in the state of Florida. So I'm looking to, to add to my season, and then maybe we can end up doing like a late-season deer camp as well. Oh, yeah. Hey, man, I'm down for any of that for sure. Yeah. And like, we only got 31 days here in Zone C, so I'm I'm happy as can be yeah counting down the days well, hold on hold on i'll pull up my calendar and tell you how long i have because it's even better <laughs> <I'm> sure <laughs> it's even less i've got at the time of recording this 17 days 7 hours 38 minutes and 36 seconds oh you lucky duck man <laughs> lucky duck <laughs> so, that's in georgia as well, as well right yeah 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 so oh uh, man it's uh it's gonna be fun man i can't wait I, it's uh gonna be a good year especially with that persimmon crop but uh dude why don't you tell everybody where they can find all this footage well if you guys want to be bored to death you guys can always look up part of florida outdoors <laughs> you know it's nothing big big as we speak but it's it, it will be before too long um the heart of florida outdoors on youtube and instagram as of right now that's all i got for you h-a-r-t right yes h-a-r-t which actually if anybody wants a little backstory on why i you know why it what what the h-a-r-t because everybody's like well you you didn't spell that right man do you spell check that first like well (laughs) actually it's it's just it's a family it's within the family of mine it's a last name within the family it means a lot to me that's kind of where it came about and obviously trying to be a little different than just the -the run-of-the-mill Whereas when you search for it, I was trying to come up with something a little bit different, but hey, whatever works, man. Whatever works. That's it, man. That's it. Well, but, dude, I, uh, I appreciate you taking time out your evening and joining us, and soon we're going to have deer camp, and I, I'm excited, sweet. dude. Sounds good. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, man. All right, guys, so that's it for this week's episode. No matter what you do, no matter how long it is until your deer season is about to kick off, do us one favor. Get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. Brave anglers search for the one they call king, but who will take his throne? Tune in to Waypoint TV's Battle for Silver, Saturday, May 18th from 12 to 6 p.m. Eastern. Presented by Abyss Battery. Waypoint TV.